Welcome to the Let Me Halal Extra podcast, brought to you by MGH Action. This is the Muslim American podcast where we dissect today's political climate, tease apart hypocrisy, and gear up for elections. We'll understand how American politics is changing and how we can be a force that shapes it. From the top minds in politics and social justice, let me halal at ya. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our new podcast, Let Me Halal At Ya, brought to you by Engage Action. So we wanted to bring you this podcast to really dive into some of the issues that are affecting not only the Muslim community, but minorities on a day-to-day basis. We wanted to provide a platform where we can discuss these issues openly, bring in panels of experts, and really showcase to you um, the evolution of politics in today's day and age as it relates to Muslim Americans. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about Engage and who we are. We are a civic organization Um, And we mobilize Muslim Americans and other minorities to vote through our C3 arm. As well, we advocate for issues that impact our communities and endorse candidates that we feel have shared the same values as Muslim Americans do through our PAC and C4 arm. Today, we have with us Sana Shahid, who is our um, executive director for Texas. And we're really excited to talk to her because Texas is officially a battleground state now. And we have so many exciting things happening. So welcome, Sana. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for making this podcast happen. Oh, (laughs) it's just what we needed, I think, to get um, more engaged in the political space. So I'm I'm really hoping that we get some good success out of this. So you're in Texas. Let's start with a little bit of uh, background around how it became a battleground state. You are focused on the most diverse city in the United States, mm-hmm. which is Houston. Mm-hmm. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about Houston and um, how it got to be the most diverse city in the United States, because I don't think it's always been that way. Sure. I think Texas is a little misunderstood by most of America, is that we're a deep red state, we're Republican, there's no point in spending time there. We're not a red state, we're not a deeply Republican state. What we are is a non-voting state. Before this 2018 election, in the midterms, only 9% of Texans actually went out to vote. So 9%? 9 So 9% of Texans really decided what our legislature was going to look like, which happened to be of a certain demographic. And so what has happened now, especially after the 2016 election, people started paying it a lot more attention. And the thing about Texas and Houston especially is that it's a heavy immigrant city. There's so many communities and especially communities of color that live there. A, because it's a port city, it's warm, um, there's no state income tax. Everybody wants to move to Houston. And from what I understand, you want to move to Houston too. Absolutely. (laughs) So a lot of people moved there, so it became, over over the over time, it became the most diverse diverse city in America, and it also encompasses Fort Bend County, which is the second most diverse county in the United States. So that's saying something about the shifting demographics of Texas. What this 2016 election um, caused was everyone to start paying attention and, like, try and figure out how to get more civically engaged and how can they make sure that their voices are heard and their votes are counted. Um, So 2018 was historic when it came to voter turnout and when it came to actually putting Texas on the map as a battleground state Mm -hmm. because there were communities of color that were touched by campaigns um, by the state parties and were asked to come out and vote and become civically engaged. And so it was a, it was very much a partnership between these communities that have um, been ignored 
And these communities wanting to find a pathway to being um, mm-hmm. being heard and being engaged. So you're saying that it's a very diverse city. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me because I had the same stereotypes about Texas, about <laughs> it being super red yeah. and very white. Right. But it's, it's funny because you would think that as immigrants come into um, a new surrounding um, and they're, they're in a new community, mm-hmm. they would maybe assimilate to like a more conservative type of mindset because you would think that's what Texas is all about. But it seems like these immigrants um, have now evolved into having families that are very liberal, maybe even progressive, I might add. So how do you think that happens? Like, do you think that culture actually existed in Texas prior to an immigration wave? Or do you think that these immigrants are bringing certain principles from their motherlands with them when they come here? So that's a really interesting question that you ask. And I think it has so many layers to it because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, this is a very complex issue. It's hard to pinpoint one reason. So when it comes to immigrant communities, I think you're right. Like, and I'm not going to pretend like there are immigrant communities and communities of color that aren't conservative and that aren't, um, you know, tend to lean a certain way. There are, but they, after the 2016 election, especially, they noticed a shift and, hey, there's a certain demographic that isn't inclusive of us and that doesn't represent our interests. And we didn't sacrifice all of this stuff to be in a country where we are literally being um, discriminated against actively by an administration that is racist and, and homophobic and xenophobic and all of all of the things that it is. I think that's what has gotten these immigrant communities to really get organized. Like we're great organizers. Like we congregate all the t- every Friday we congregate, we congregate as, as a community around social justice issues, but I don't think we are good at mobilizing when it comes to political advocacy and political engagement. We do tend to silo ourselves and we're like, okay, we're going to stick with, you know, our kind, our people. And that political stuff is not for us because they've been disenfranchised for so long mm-hmm. and vote we have the lowest voter registration rate in the state of texas and that's not because people um don't want to be registered to vote but it's because our state has systematically made it incredibly difficult to register people to vote um we don't have have some examples yeah we don't have online voter registration we don't automatically get registered apply for um, a driver's license or a state id card and especially when it comes to vdvrs if i am for example a vdvr in a certain county that What's a VDVR? Oh, sorry. A VDVR is a volunteer deputy voter registrar. So those are people that can go and register people to vote. Um, and so if I'm a VDVR in a certain county, I can't go to another county and register other people. I have to go to a separate training for that. Mm-hmm. Um, or there are things like if I'm going to the Secretary of State's office to try and get voter registration cards, they'll only give me 10 at a time. But as an organization, that's really logistically too, like they're making it difficult for us to register a lot of people. So if I hire five people to go register folks, I can only get 50 voter registration cards. And that's specific to your county? That's not, um, is that happening in other parts of Texas as well? I believe so. Um, We are focused in Houston, Austin, we're expanding to Dallas. Um, But I know, but all of these policies are decided on a state level. Mm -hmm. And so my understanding is this happens across the state. Um, and that's something that I I could be wrong about, but I'm pretty sure it, ha- it happens at a state level. We're, I think, the second last or third last when it comes to voter registration. I'm a little wonky on the numbers, but in Harris County, which is the most diverse county 
in in Texas, only I think forty percent of people are registered to vote. Wow! So that there, you're essentially leaving out millions of people that could go out and vote for a certain candidate, right? Um, that are being left out, mm-hmm. um, or their voter cards are being quote unquote lost in the mail. Yeah. Um. So so the system has to like disenfranchise these communities, and so they don't engage, and you can't really blame them for that. Yeah. Um, but the 2016 election has really caused that shift, I think, not just throughout the country, but especially in Texas. I think communities of color um, specifically have so much voting power because we are a huge voting bloc mm-hmm. and we could really sway elections if we just go out and vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so 2018 was really important for us to get these communities that are already organized around you know, temples and mosques, but then get them mobilized into going out to the polls and taking people and their communities with them mm-hmm. um, to the polls. And we did this in, in various races and mm-hmm. in various ways, which was really exciting. And we mm-hmm. saw, we didn't just exceed um, midterm turnout, we surpassed it and we almost met presidential turnout. Wow. Um, which was insane and exciting. And I really think, and that's what put Texas on the map as a battleground state. Yep. Texas is where like the tide is turning because if we flip Texas, Mm-hmm. We can flip the entire country. Mm-hmm. And because it's such a diverse state, all we need to do is mobilize. And I yeah. say all we need to do. There's a lot yeah. of work that goes into Definitely. that. So so let's let's talk a little bit about you. What how did you get um into the space, into organizing? Because it's people like you that I think will help impact the 2020 election and, and you're sure. quite young. So you are like the future of <laughs> organizing as a whole, right? So right. how did you get started in this? I actually got accidentally involved. Um, I used to do a lot of social justice work and organizing around, you know, women's rights and women's equity. Um, And I was one of the organizers for the Houston Women's March. And so while I was organizing that, I I ran into a woman, Letitia Plummer, who was running for Congress at the time. Um, And she's a Black Arab Muslim woman, single mother, dentist, small business owner. I I spoke to her and she's like, I need you on my campaign. I was like, what's a campaign? (laughs) But I was doing a lot of like communications work and and that was like, that's what I studied in school. And she saw my organizing ability Mm -hmm. with the Houston Women's March. And so she was like, I want you on my campaign to help me. So I came on to her campaign and and campaigns, once you get involved, you're just like neck deep in them. Mm -hmm. And you're just sink or swim. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really a sink or swim. And I had to learn so quickly on my feet. Yeah. Um, And then once you just get involved with like electoral politics, it's Mm -hmm. so hard to look away. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was brought on as her communications director. um, And then she went to a runoff with Tree Preston Cole Carney, which was. (laughs) um, And so after she she unfortunately lost the runoff, she is running for city council now in Houston. So Uh people look out for her. But I got picked up by the Texas Democratic Party for a pilot program that they had just started, which was the AAPI program where they wanted to invest in the API vote and community. Mm-hmm. So they hired me as an organizer for the API slash Muslim communities. Mm-hmm. So my job was really to go into these spaces where there are communities of color, educate them on what's going on, who the candidates are, what they stand for, and how we can get as many of us registered and out to the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's how it just kind of is snowballed into that. So mm-hmm. when I was working for the Texas Democratic Party as the AAPR organizer, I worked on a coordinated campaign, which was, um, so that meant I worked with Lizzie Fletcher, Sri Preston Kulkarni, and then Beto O'Rourke. Nice. That's awesome. Um, and now here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that sounds, that's really amazing. And yeah. so 
Yeah, you mentioned a couple of really um, empowering um, candidates yeah. like Sri, who yeah. is, I think, an M-Gage fan favorite for all the ladies <laughs> in the group. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's ladies across, like, yeah. Houston. Yeah, well, I think it was the 22 languages <laughs> that really did everyone in. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that Anyone was... that canvasses and does phone banking in 22 languages is just, that, wow. That that's... was such a special um, project for me. And, and that was such a special race in itself because nobody has campaigned that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why the API program that I was a part of was so instrumental in getting so many people out because we were supporting his campaign with that. I mean, candidates don't do that. Obama tried to do that because I spoke to a lot of people who worked on I actually spoke to um, Obama's field director. I think he was a field director or some, something like that. He had some role on Obama's campaign. He was like, the way you guys have organized around ethnicity and background and languages even we didn't do that in 08 or so wow, in, in, really? uh, 12. Interesting. Uh, yeah, which was so because, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about that race a little bit and like sure. the specifics of it because it was so exciting. Um, what we were, we looked at his congressional district, which was, a, a, it was heavy people of color. It was a very, it, so it's Fort Bend County, which is the second most diverse county in the United States. And so he was like, how do we ca- canvas to people who have never been touched before, who have never had their door knocked, who have never been phone banked. But we can't obviously, so he's half Indian and half um, Caucasian. And so he understands cultural nuances and he's lived abroad. And so he's he's culturally competent and he understood the value of reaching people and meeting people where they are because that's the only effective way of organizing because not everyone has been dis- disenfranchised. Not everyone has come from a different country where like the, we met with people that have never voted in their life before because mm-hmm. of the kind of country that they came from. And then right. when they got here, they just didn't know how to get politically involved. So he's like, okay, how do we reach these people and meet them where they are? Mm-hmm. So like, okay, first of all, we have to start talking to them in their language. And then when we would do block walking, we would canvas them. We would try to, and it wasn't perfect because this was all a big, New. it was a, a huge experiment. Yeah, And we're like, we're going to send people who look similar to them or at least are you know people of color to their doors because they're more likely to open the door and talk and I know personally like firsthand because I was the Muslim organizer we were able through really good data we were able to figure out where likely Muslims live and we were able to create a list and I along with a lot of other volunteers that were from the Muslim community went and knocked on Muslim doors and so when I knock on somebody's door and I say, hey, so like, oh, I'm looking for Fatma, mm-hmm. she is way more likely to talk to me as opposed to someone calling her Fatima mm. and like saying hi, you know, yeah. there's just like that instant, she, they warm up to you instant and there's connection. like a connection. Yeah. Um, and that has, I mean, even when phone banking, I, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. So what Shri and his team were able to do we broke it down into giant buckets. So we were like, okay, Muslim bucket, Hindu bucket, um, Nigerian bucket. And then we further segmented that by Arab Muslim, South Asian Muslim. So that, I mean, not all Muslim, the entire Absolutely. Muslim community is not the same. Yeah. I um, mean, we can't just canvas them the same way. Yeah. Um, and then, so we just broke, we kept segmenting them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to create 22, I mean, I wish we could have done more. But we segmented into 22 lists. We had like Tamil, Telugu, Arabic, 
Urdu, Punjabi, like all these different languages. And Mandarin, he speaks fluent Mandarin. Yes, I know. Um, we'll figure. <laughs> um, Mandarin, Spanish. So, so what kind of successes did you see from that level of segmentation? Because I have to admit, like, so in my, my expertise uh-huh. is exactly in consumer behavior as it applies to a business sense. Right. However, I think it's the same concept that you can take voter segmentation as it applies to getting them to feel comfortable and feel confident to not only register to vote, but come out for a cause. Right. And if you're going to convince someone to do something, um, it would be best to do it in a way that they can relate to, which is all right. segmentation is about no matter right. how you look at it. Yeah. So do you have some like key wins that you can share specifically from that campaign? Yeah. I mean, even though Sri Preston Kulkarni is a biracial Hindu man, the Muslim community really rallied behind him. And I, I'm a little rough on the numbers because it's been a little while, but um, we looked at the numbers between the 2014 midterms and the 2018 midterms. I, we were around 16% when it came to voter turnout from the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. This time we surpassed 55% of Muslims who came out mm-hmm. to vote for him. Wow. Which was a huge deal because that, I mean, he, there was like a 24 point difference between the last person who ran against Pete Olsen, who's the incumbent. Mm-hmm. This time, I believe there was like a four and a half or five point difference. Oh. So we were able to close and bring it so close. Mm-hmm. So that next time anybody runs in that mm-hmm. district, A, we already have engaged these, because once you get politically engaged, it's really hard to not be yeah, anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So we were able to bring all these communities into the fold. Um, and now they are here. They're mm-hmm. present. And the really cool thing is Nabila Mansour is running for Sugarland City Council. So Sugarland mm-hmm. falls in Congressional District 22. Um, and Nabila was one of like the most valuable organizers for him um, who works for MDH as a census director. And the coolest part is all of the diverse community members who were part of Shri's campaign are now supporting Nabila Mansoor, who is a hijab-wearing Muslim woman. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter if you're Hindu or Muslim or Sikh or, you know, Chinese. All of these people work together on Shri's campaign. Yeah. And now they're all working together on Nabila's campaign. Because they want to see people who look like them in these, like, elected positions. Yeah. As you're speaking to the numbers, Mm -hmm. we saw a similar trend in the um, state Senate election with Ted Cruz versus Beto. And I think it was only a 3%. 2.5%. Yeah, that's insane. That's 205,000 people. That is just like a small suburb. Yeah. That he lost. And so when people say my vote doesn't really count, I mean, I think that the 2018 midterm elections, we could probably name a handful of elections, including Andrew Gill. It's so important to get this message out and, um, you know, make sure that people that represent us as engage um, with our our values, whether they're Muslim or not, I think they're just human values. Yeah are represented in government. Because what we really, like, stand for is justice and equity, Mm -hmm. whether that's across, like, the Muslim community or communities of color in general, because at the end of the day, all of our civil liberties are tied together. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if Muslims are being discriminated against or, you know, the Chinese are. We're all, if it can happen to one group, it'll happen to another at some point in history. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that as Engage and as, you know, advocates and activists that we fight for one another and make sure that all of our voter rights are protected. Mm -hmm. 
I think we've done a, a really good representation of how active Houston and probably um, other parts of Great Texas Houston, right. are. Um, so now that you're a part of Engage, what do you think, uh, what are some of the key focus areas that Engage is focusing on as we're growing our Texas chapter? I know it's growing quite a bit and um, we've got some new um, board members that yeah. want to really expand and, and really start to mobilize the community some more, more there than what we've seen. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that you guys are working on that you want to talk to us about and, and maybe give us some ideas about? Yeah. So because, you know, now Texas is officially a battleground state and I truly believe like that's where the tide is turning mm-hmm. and we just need to keep this momentum going because we have a lot of it right now. So 2019 is crucial in building capital and in keeping this momentum going, but also training our community, educating them, Mm -hmm. training them, and then empowering them to continue this momentum um, through 2020, because 2020 will be probably one of the most important elections right now. Um, So our Emerging Leaders Program is something that's coming up, and it's really for education and empowerment and also just training them for 2020, because we're going to need as many trained, thoughtful, effective um, young leaders, because I think we it's really important to invest in young Muslims and young people of color in general, mm-hmm. because we are the face of the Democratic Party and of this country, frankly, because this country is not just um, it's it's been run by a certain group of people for a very long time, but that doesn't represent who we are as America. Um, young people of color is just as much part of our fabric than anybody else's. So one of our goals is to start investing in them and building that capital. Um, another thing that we are doing is focusing on local elections. So we have the Sugarland City Council, we have Houston City Council, because I think what we don't do enough of is talk about how vital local elections are. And those positions that we elect people into affect our day-to-day lives way more than like any kind of federal elections do. Um, so, like, for example, who my hair, my county commissioner is or who's on my school board, who is on your school board literally decides what your children will eat in their cafeteria mm-hmm. and what textbooks they're going to be studying. Mm-hmm. So paying attention to, to things like that is is so vital. And we just had a workshop on, on how to run for local office, um, especially if you're a person of color. Um, and then what what local elections we even have, like local mm-hmm. offices. I'm sorry. It's so like what the mud board does, what lid does, those affect the taxes that you're paying to your government and what happens right. with your money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, that's what we're focusing on. And then we also have drumrolled Census 2020, which Yay. is <laughs> going to be a huge project um, because the census um, and, and Nabila is our census director. So she, she does a, this pitch way better than I do. But mm. the census really decides everything. It decide it de- it it decides where money goes, where infrastructure. Um, we invest in infrastructure. How like our entire country is set up based on the demographics that we're able to collect during the census. These aren't my words. The census is this is how the census describes them. Is the hard to reach communities? Okay. And those are primarily communities of color and immigrant communities that are hard to reach and hard to count. And if you aren't counted, then you aren't represented, and you aren't. Um, invested in by your government, but you're still paying your taxes. Um, so it's really important that our communities understand the value of the census and mm-hmm. make sure that they get counted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also important that we work with the Census Bureau that 
um, census centers are in places that are accessible by our communities, mm-hmm. um, that people who are working for the census have people from our communities working with them. Um, so the census has just released like a huge job board. Um, they have a lot of job listings. So what we're trying to do actively is to get people from our community hired mm. by the census board. Right. So that we have our people at the table when decisions are being made about how the census is going to be conducted. Because the way you're going to conduct the census in a white suburban neighborhood is not how it's going to be effective in like a highly immigrant community like Hellcroft. Mm-hmm. Will they be able to have influence on the questions or some of the classifications? So... We, we, the immigration question has been something that we've been talking about. Right. Um, so if you get, Is it included now or... So I don't believe there has been a resolution. At least last time I checked, there wasn't a resolution. But we did talk to a professor. Um, we went to a symposium and we spoke to a professor there. And he said, honestly, whether or not the question's even on there doesn't matter anymore because they've created such paranoia around it that whether they put the question on there or not, people are it's still been like talked about and people are still going to think, well, why should I take the risk? I'm not going to fill it out. And that was done on purpose. This is systemic disenfranchisement. Um, and so it's our job as um, Gage and as, you know, advocates for equity and justice to make sure that our communities and these hard to reach communities are counted. Um, so they get what they deserve. They get the representation that they deserve. Absolutely. Let's talk about the ramp up for 2020. So you talked, you touched a little bit about that with the Emerging Leaders Program. Mm -hmm. In terms of like maybe some hack work or some issue advocacy, do you have anything to share that you're currently working on that will be um, big for Texas? So one thing that we are really proud of is one of our board members is on the transition or was on the transition team for our county clerk, because during the 2018 election, our county clerk, who was a a Republican county clerk, was beaten by um, a female Democratic um, county clerk, Diane Troutman. Mm -hmm. And we really supported her and helped her get the um, API and um, Muslim vote out during the 2018 election. And so she asked him to be part of her transition team which basically means we have one favor with her and she trusts us. We have credibility with her. And so we can advise her on what, how best she can represent our communities. And so by being on her transition team, we also went to testify at the county commissioner's court twice. And what that was able to do was get us voting centers in um, Muslim and AAPI spaces. Mm. So, for example, the Turkish Center um, is now a voting center. We are working to get Mariam Islamic Center to be a voting center. Um, I believe both of them have been confirmed. Mm. Um, We are trying to get the Chinese Community Center to be a voting center. So once these spaces that are accessible by our communities and that our communities are comfortable in... Mm -hmm. um, will really drive up the vote. Um, and it's like, if you can go to a Baptist church to go and vote, why can't you go to a mosque to go and Absolutely. vote? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's just, you know, it's equity. It's mm-hmm. it's um, representation. And so by, I, it was me, Nabila, Mr. Durrani, like a, a bunch of us went to testify and they saw that there's a lot of public support for these spaces to be opened up as voting centers. Um, and so we were able to do that. And that's just one step in trying to get our communities mm-hmm. involved in the political um, sphere because I mean if you go to Juma and you see that you can just go vote and it'll Absolutely. be five minutes yeah. you're way more likely to do that than mm-hmm. driving over after Juma to a Baptist church mm-hmm. and doing that. Absolutely. 
Um, so we were able to do that, and we have, um, this is the first time that MGH Texas is is part of the legislative process, mm -hmm. um, and we just had our first legislative visit. We have a few planned for the rest of the year, which basically means we have certain um, issues that we are advocating for, um, and this is through our C4 arm. Um, some issues that we really want are to push for are voter protection rights, um, immigration, and um protecting families from detention because we are a border state. Yep. We have a detention center in Houston that one of our community members was in and we really had to like fight to get him out. And so voter protection rights, immigration, um, protection for, for of people from detention. Um, and we are also trying to advocate for an anti-hate crime bill as well. Great. So these really align with our values and we want to make sure that all communities are protected from mm -hmm. these things. So. Mm. Um, that's what we're doing on the legislative side. So you um, you are a woman of color, right. and you're very empowered about this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Like every immigrant family, my parents wanted me. My dad's a doctor, so of course, like that's what I started my like I started my college career with. I was like, okay, I'll I guess I'll be a doctor. But um, like, luckily, I'm very fortunate that they're supportive parents, and they were like, do what you need to do, and that you are passionate about. Um, and so I started my uh, social justice work and advocacy work uh, early in college. But after I got into the political sphere, I noticed in a lot of spaces, in enough spaces where I've noticed it, that I am the only woman of color and I'm usually the only Muslim at the table as well. Um, and that's because our, our community is very focused. And I, and I understand it because it's, you know, a heavy immigrant community and immigrant communities want to focus on hey, keep your head down, don't rock the boat, um, just work hard. And the thing, the problem I have with that is that I got this from, I was speaking to um, a Chinese-American man once, and he said, and he said this to me and it resonated. He was like, while they kept telling us to work hard, work hard, they were working smart and getting themselves elected into office. Mm -hmm. And that, I was like, that's so true. And mm -hmm. yes, it's important to work hard. And that's a value of ours, of our faith and of our of our organization. But we also have to work smart and we have to work thoughtfully as well um, to be a thoughtful, effective organization. In order to do that, we need to invest in young people, in young women of color. So we all are represented. I can't always be the only woman or the only young woman or the only woman of color or the only Muslim woman of color at the table. Like there are so many, you know, like minority boxes I fit into. Yeah. But it's also not just my burden to bear. Yeah. I feel like our communities need to invest in our young women and young men as well mm -hmm. to allow them and not just allow them, but encourage them to expand and diversify. Yeah. Um, their career choices and their involvement mm -hmm. because the only way and I used to be like a, I was like oh I'm going to work for like international relief work and I'm going to do you know women empowerment and get girls education which I think is all really valuable work still I'm still very passionate about that yeah. but I think there's like a there's a two-pronged approach on how to create effective social change Okay. And one is through, like, I think doing relief work and doing, you know, that kind of work is more reactionary and you're going to fix the problem. But the work that we do by investing in political uh, activism is more, we're thinking forward mm -hmm. and we're preventing these problems from happening in the first place. So if we have people who represent our interests in elected office who can pass legislation 
that will prevent families from being separated Mm -hmm. or will prevent, you know, men of color from being incarcerated way more than any other uh, demographic, then we won't have to be fighting so hard for prison reform because we already have, you know, good legislation that's preventing that from happening in the first place. Right. So I think it's so important for our communities to really start focusing on political activism and engagement Mm -hmm. because it's forward thinking and it's really, we, I mean, my parents and, and a lot of communities that I work with sacrifice so much to be here. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody wants to leave their, you know, country of origin and their families and come to a country that's foreign to them. But they do that. They make those sacrifices because we were promised the American dream and we were right. promised a country that is free and a country where we are free to practice our religion and where everyone has, you know, the right to life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. So how do we ensure that we actually get that mm-hmm. is by... I mean, it's not going to be handed to us on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. We have to get involved. So I yeah. really want to encourage and like work with MDH and work with our communities to invest in young women, young men, um, and get us involved in political engagement. A, a path to success. Yeah, because it's just not going to. It's not just going to happen. Mm-hmm. We have to do something. We have to about put it. in the work. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Sana, I really appreciate all of your time. I think it's been a great conversation mm-hmm. and. Um, I have a newfound passion for Texas, so I'm really, <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to talk about Texas. Um, is where it's at, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm just very excited for um, you know seeing some really good change, and I think 2018 was a great um, oh, path to get there. And I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing what 2020 has to offer. Maybe Beto 2020. Who Maybe. knows? We can all hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how can people find you um, if they want to find out more information about Engage or about yourself? Can you share some ways that we can look for you? Sure. Um, you can find a lot of our information on EngageUSA.org. Um, you can also go to EngageActionTX on Twitter. Um, and we are on Instagram, EngageUSA and EngageAction. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Bye, guys.